When we redesign our website, we're given a rare opportunity to change the bones we build it on. Now imagine that your website is a doll. You start with a generic, human-shaped form and begin to turn it into something. You choose the clothes, the hats, the shoes, the shades for it. Some you buy, some you make yourself. Your website is similar. You rent server space from a host and drop a content management system on it. This is a generic website-shaped form that you can begin dressing. Now, lest you think you can do anything with this digital doll you've purchased, be careful. You can't put Barbie clothes on an American Girl doll. You can't put G.I. Joe clothes on your Star Wars action figures. Likewise, the host you choose forms the bones of your site and limits what you can make of it. And this is why we often find ourselves frustrated that our Mr. Potato Head host can't deliver a chic Bratz doll website. Welcome to Intended Consequences, a podcast from Conversion Sciences. I'm Brian Massey, and I believe that anyone is capable of using behavioral science to predict the success of their marketing campaigns. Marketing magic is real and I'll teach you how to harness it. The way I look at it is I take the revenue from the site, I look at how long it takes to load now, I think about you know moving to our platform and the tools that we offer that can make that even faster, and then I do some back of the napkin math on how you might boost your conversion rates, and somewhere in there is the answer about whether it's worth it or not. If you want your website to fit into WordPress clothes, my guest today has the host for you. WP Engine is a host dedicated to WordPress websites. David Vogelpohl is responsible for marketing these hosted services. David is the VP of Web Strategy at WP Engine. This conversation builds off the conversation that Joel and I had on the last episode about website redesigns. I've known David for a long time. I knew him in a previous life when he founded and built a design agency here in Austin. I've spoken at the meetup he founded called Awesome. So it's rather ingracious for David to come on my podcast and counter what we preach here about website redesigns. David says that data doesn't really matter for him and his team when it comes to a website redesign. He says no matter what, an agency has to use data to show customers the results. And as an agency, you have to live with the good and the bad. So listen as he explains. I always like to understand the answer to this question. What changes for your customers when they switch to WP Engine? You know, the WP Engine platform is quite deep. I think one of the more striking things for me was a study that one of my teams did for customers that were onboarding onto WP Engine. We wanted to know, well, what happened to people's page load times? And as people were onboarding, they would enter their domains and they would migrate their site under their our platform. And there would be this moment in time where the site existed on the old host and on WP Engine while they were getting their DNS figured out. And what we could do is we could run speed tests on both of those to see what the impact was for those customers. On average, the customers knocked about two-thirds off their load time. Now, of course, it depends on where you're moving from and how big your site is and a bunch of other factors as to whether you know that will be true for you. But on average, it was about two-thirds off. So that was quite significant. And you know, I think this is one of the key values that WP Engine delivers is, you know, just frankly, faster websites. 
And faster websites have a direct impact to bounce rate, which has a direct impact to conversion rate. And so um, the way I think about it is that our customers buy our service to grow, not just to have a place to host their website. Yeah, and SEO, uh, since the, the days of gaming by stuffing keywords onto pages, um, have gone by the wayside. It's it's about content and performance now. So, Performance is a big deal, especially on mobile. Uh, mobile, you know, relative to your site's performance, can have a material impact into SEO um, in many, many ways. But even without SEO, the longer a web page takes to load, the more likely the visitor is to bounce and the less likely you are to make money. So, um, you know, we, we see that as a key value. And I think the other piece would be really our support. Um, I don't know if you know much about NPS scores or net promoter scores. It's a way of surveying the quality of your support. And WP Engine has an NPS scores in the mid 80s, which is unheard of for uh, air quote web host. And so that's, I think, another key differentiator to WP Engine is, is really just the quality of that support. And, and the big reason for that, I think, other than just the amazing culture that team has, is the fact that they only focus on WordPress. We don't do email hosting. We don't do other CMSs. We don't do general web hosting. So they're just able to focus and really lean into one subject area, which I think ends up showing itself in those NPS scores. That's pretty interesting. Someone begins working with WP Engine. They're moving a site that's going to look pretty much the same uh, from their previous host, or is this often a part of a redesign? The redesign is a common time for people to move hosts. Um, you know, obviously, with the site being redesigned, the site itself, the files of the site are kind of floating around in in the ether in a sense, right? They're being downloaded from where it's hosted now. On, uh, you know, kind of loaded on the developer's computer, uploaded into a staging environment. And so I think about this as like the ball's in the air. And so this is a great time uh, for someone to consider moving to a new hosting platform. So we absolutely get a lot of customers who do that during the redesign process, right? You're going to kind of turn off one thing, turn on the other thing. So this is an, a good opportunity to try that on a different platform. Um, I don't personally know the mix of new versus redesigns. I'm sorry, existing versus redesign migrations, uh, but it's certainly weighted to existing. The majority of customers moving to our platform are not in the middle of a redesign. However, I would say that a healthy percentage are in the middle of a redesign. Okay, so but not the majority. I don't believe so. I haven't like run those exact stats, but my experience watching people migrate and participating in that. Uh, most of them have not been in the middle of a redesign, but I mean, if I were to like wager a guess, I'd probably say like somewhere around maybe 15 to 30% are in the middle of a redesign. And I think when most people, I think I'll, or should I say a lot of people when they switch hosts, one of the reasons is usually performance or some sort of support issue or possibly a security issue, but performance is high on the list and they tend to kind of do it before and after. And so that's a, a key thing that our onboarding team looks for and helps customers with and helps them understand all the different features that can help them go even faster. I've had some clients uh, move over who were friends of mine. I remember one person in particular, and he moved over and he had messed something up during the migration. There was a redesign he was also doing or something, and some of his DoubleClick or Google AdSense data got uh, messed up or something like that. But he, uh, the site got faster. And it was just the reporting that got messed up. His revenue from those ads had actually gone up during that time. And it was because the speedier site and people weren't bouncing as much. And he was like, my analytics are messed up. So that makes me, I need to figure out how to fix that. But the revenue went up. So whatever is wrong with the analytics, I like the revenue part of it. <laughs> the bottom uh, line. Which was, 
Yeah, exactly. Which was kind of neat, but I, I don't think people really understand uh, the impact that you know page speed can have to your ability to convert. And you know, it really just depends on how valuable your website is. You know, people are like, "Is WP Engine worth it?" Because you know, we are more expensive than competitors. And the way I look at it is, I take the revenue from the site. I look at how long it takes to load. Now, I think about you know moving to our platform and the tools that we offer that can make that even faster. And then I do some back of the napkin math on how you might boost your conversion rates and somewhere in there is the answer about whether it's worth it or not. But if you think about like even like a lawyer's website, I got one, I'm a one single person lawyer. Those cases are worth tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars to the lawyer. If you miss one lead a year, you know, the price difference of, you know, investing in your performance can be wiped away in an instant. And so, you know, if you have a valuable website, it's worth paying attention to. But if it's a hobby site, uh, you know, you might not be sweating your performance too much. Yeah. Well, and that, that underscores one of the metrics that we use around conversion optimization. If you do have a, a large order that is going to happen, even if you might have a long sales cycle, uh, the payback on conversion optimization is very quick. Now you do quite a bit of optimization for WP Engine. And if you're like most business to business companies, you've got a variety of ways of engaging. So you can have them sign up and subscribe. You can have them give you contact information in exchange for a piece of content. Demos is often one of the ways to go about things, having a call with a salesperson. How do you um, manage this, this variety of conversions that each of which may have a different quality and a different term when you're testing funnels on the site? Yeah, that's uh, you know really interesting to think about as it relates to WP Engine. I mean, of course, I've done a significant amount of A-B testing across a variety of businesses in the agency and before that. But I think one of the unique things that you know, really I got to get deep into as I came here was, you know, we don't have a funnel. We have like a splash pad type thing with like 10 funnels and pipes going everywhere and all kinds of different ways for people to engage with us that drives value for our business. We have an e-commerce model. You can buy our hosting or our platform services on our website right there, right then and now. You can fill out our sales form become a lead for our salespeople. You can chat with us via our web chat. You can call us. You can download an ebook. You can join our agency partner program. All of those things have different sales cycles. There's different average revenue per essentially user or ARPU that we get when someone chats with us versus they call us versus they fill out the form. And of course, when they buy things directly from our website. And so it presented a, a great challenge when you think about like an A-B testing approach. But average revenue per user would basically be to say, when we get a customer and they spend so much per month with us, what is the average of that amount of money? So our cheapest plan is $35. And then we have you know big enterprise clusters that are tens of thousands of dollars a month. And so we take all the money divided by all the customers, and that's the ARPU. But the quality of leads that we get for chats and phone calls and sales forms are all different. They close at different rates. They have a different ARPUs or different revenue for our business. And so when you think about, I'm going to create a page that's going to ask someone to sign up now or to become a lead for the sales team or both or to download an ebook or they click off on another area of the site and do those things, you know, you really have to come at it and say, well, how do I look at this holistically? How do I know how much value the A drove versus the B? And think about it more than just like a, a, a single metric, right? It's not just a conversion. I've got probably 15 different types of conversions that occur with all different kinds of revenues. So that was a huge challenge coming in here. 
So uh, I think this is one of the things that um, business to business organizations don't have a good handle on, and that is the value of a lead. And here you just present a situation where you've got 15 different quote unquote leads, different contexts, every from a, everything from a, a actual transaction where they purchase the service to a sales call to a variety of other things, an agency lead, for instance. So you've, for a lot, some of these, you're going to have a longer sales cycle, a conversation with a salesperson might be 30 days, might be six months. How do you um, score? How do you value uh, these conversions? I think as data-driven people, we often want the holy grail, right? We want to put our A and our B up. We want to know what the close rate of the leads were. We want to know what the average revenue for the leads were. There's all kinds of different metrics that we want to know. In a B2B environment with multi-month sales cycles, you don't have that luxury. And so you need to be making these calls on your tests now, not later. So uh, I think the thing that I ask myself when I enter into a testing scenario is, am I saying something significantly different about the offer or what I expect the visitor to do? In other words, am I asking them uh, in the WP Engine sense, am I asking them to sign up for our platform and to talk to a salesperson to get more information about that? Or am I saying, hey, we can do a demo or we can you know, maybe do some other type of activity? And so I think when you're changing the type of activity that you're asking the person to do, you know, there's a high expectation or a high chance that your close rate would change, your sales time would change. And I think when you, when you do these types of experiments, you do need to kind of let the test run a little longer, see what's happening with the quality of those leads. But I think if you're saying the same kinds of things or Im implying that the person should say, take the same kind of actions, then I think it's fairly safe to use your average. What is my average? Here's what we do on WP Engine. I ask myself, what is my average close rate for the type of lead? So I'm going to use fictitious numbers here. But let's just say that we close half of the half of the sales chats we get. Okay, awesome. How much average revenue is that? And then from there, I can start to determine how much each chat is worth. Now, what I don't really know is. Well, you know, three months later, did I actually get the 50% close rate? Did I really get that ARPU or average revenue I thought I was going to get? Um, I don't really know that. But the way I approach it from a pragmatic sense is to say, if I'm not like fundamentally changing the funnel or, or what I'm asking them to do, then I'm just going to go ahead and assume that my averages are okay. I go and assign that value to the value of the chat or the call or whatever. And then uh, I'll go ahead and count that up in order to figure out if my A or my B won the test. And that's so important because I think we get wrapped around the axle trying to come up with an accurate measure of what the actual revenue generated by each lead is. When really what we want is something that we can calculate with some regularity that while not accurate in reality, does reflect whether or not we're improving things or if we uh, are increasing our lead rate and it's a bunch of crap leads. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right on. I mean, in, in data, and I experience this as well, and so does everybody else, is you get really myopic in being perfect. And the reality is you can't be perfect a lot of the time, and you have to make decisions now. You can't you know, sit there and wait six months to implement that new thing that's going to help you grow. So you just need to be very pragmatic about these approaches and just take approaches where you can feel comfortable in the data that you're seeing, but just recognize that, look, it's not going to be perfect and you're going to need to get as close as you can, um, but you also need to keep moving and you can't sit around waiting for the perfect answer. So what's working for you at WP Engine? What sorts of hypotheses seem to be popping for you? One of the things that we use quite a bit 
is essentially source-based personalization. So the way that we think about this is that visitors enter our site from affiliates, from publishing sites, from content sites, from ads, from all kinds of different places. And those contexts require, uh, maybe not require, but they benefit from certain content that's personalized for people coming from those places. So I'll use the affiliate example because it's nice and clean, but we get much more complex than this. So for someone that links to our website from one of our publishing partners, when the visitor comes through on that link, we sniff out the uh, affiliate ID essentially in the URL, and then we can use that to power dynamic co-branded experiences. So in other words, instead of creating a thousand co-branded landing pages for every affiliate, we just have this dynamic element that actually can show up on any page. So the affiliate can deep link in and have that co-branded experience as they make that you know, recommendation over to WP Engine. And so for me, we, we think often about personalization as like this magic wand AI thing where we're all going to you know, go to websites and it's going to be like, hey, Brian, you had toast this morning. You know, what do you want to know about this product? And that's often a very hard thing to achieve. And so for me, the source-based stuff using cookies and customizing the site dynamically is much, much easier to implement and to get value out of. You know, when we talk about data, we always like to focus on how data is used to not just to help you get more leads, get more sales, et cetera, but how it makes things easier as a marketer, uh, you know, someone who is day in, day out managing a relationship with an executive, managing a relationship with an agency. And your agency experience is interesting to me because I don't want to paint all agencies with a broad brush, but they're pretty much incentivized to deliver creative that their clients are going to like, as opposed to delivering uh, content that based on data, this is what the design should look like. And sometimes the higher performing creative will not be as pretty and novel and interesting as uh, what uh, the client was hoping to see. As an agency that was steeped in data, did you run into that? And if so, how did you manage that? You know, earlier in this question, you commented, you know, how does data perhaps help you make things easier as an agency or a marketer? I would say it doesn't at all. I think that the easiest thing to do, we were a data-driven agency. And it was funny because what our competitors would do is they would do exactly what you said. They would get in front of the, the customer. They would hear what the customer wanted. They would come up with a creative idea or creative design. They would design it. The customer would love it. They would design it. They would code it. They would get it live and they would collect the check and they'd walk out the door. No measurement at all. Claire Vo, uh, who I believe is still the VP of product at Optimizely, uh, had a, a very interesting quote she shared with me one time after observing um, some, a bunch of A-B tests was that 80% of the Bs failed to beat the A. And so if you kind of translate this back into the agency world and think about redesigns for a minute, I mean, 80% of the time a CRO sat down to make a better converting page, they failed 80% of the time. So you might be able to leap to the fact that 80% of redesigns are worse than the site that was there before it. <laughs> and so I think as an agency, when you use data to show customers the results, you're going to have to live with the good and the bad. If they just spend a ton of money redesigning that site and you tank their conversion rates, you're the one that's going to have to sit in front of them and explain that. Now, we did this. 
And we tanked conversion rates with redesigns, as everyone does. <laughs> and we took the hits on the chin. We had to explain that to the customers. We had to explain why it occurred. We had to explain why we measured it. We had to explain what we wanted to do next and why they might have to spend more money on that. And, you know, we lost clients because of that. It was much easier for me just to give them a pretty looking website and walk out the door. That was the easiest thing. But I didn't do that because that's not, the, that, I knew that wasn't how you delivered value. I didn't want that. I didn't want my reputation tied to that. And the clients that we kept had success over time because they embraced that. They embraced that spirit of testing. And we were able to make progress, not trying to swing a home run at every time and not watching to see if the ball goes over the fence, but to have theories and, and take, you know, purposeful steps towards success. And when we didn't have it, to be truthful and honest about that and to hold ourselves accountable and try again. And when we found customers that agreed with that philosophy, that understood that approach, we had great, great, great success with those customers. But it wasn't the easiest thing to do. The easiest thing to do was to make a pretty picture the customer would say yes to. Well, and we're fond of saying that uh, conversion optimization is essentially redesigning your website. Just you're redesigning all the time. So you're the first person that's come on here and said, nope, data makes things harder. So does this open new lines of business for you? Because if I'm going to redesign a website, uh, going to deliver it, going to take my check and going to walk out the door, that's really different from redesigning a website and then spending six, 12, 18 months with the client optimizing that. Did you, for those clients that embraced this, um, did you have longer relationships with them? And was there more of this kind of retainer ongoing business model? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the other side that a lot of agencies don't realize because I think, you know, a lot of people do recognize that, hey, if I don't measure this, then I don't have to be responsible for it. And a lot of clients are totally fine with that. No problem. But the advantage from the agency perspective was that we had ongoing work. We didn't walk out the door and collect one check. We kept collecting checks every single month. And, you know, frankly, I mean, that's nice for the agency, but at the end of the day, it is the correct thing to do for the client. And that's all I cared about was, you know, I knew I wasn't going to be successful. I knew I wasn't going to have them keep giving me checks if I wasn't helping them. You know, the way I view uh, customers buying agency services is they're giving you a check to grow. That's why they're giving you the check. They're not giving you the check for the pretty picture or to feel good or to have a new website. They're giving you a check so they can grow. And so I knew if I could deliver that, I'd have that long-term value. And that's the way it worked out. And I said again earlier that we were a uh, kind of WordPress development and digital marketing. And so what we would do is we would, you know, set up their pay-per-click campaigns or whatever it was. And then we would drive traffic to the whatever landing pages or homepage they had. And of course, it wouldn't convert very well. And then we'd say, okay, well, the, the, you know, we brought the horse to water, but now we need to get the horse to drink. So we need to say something different. In my view, words are the most powerful weapon in A-B testing. And so from the agency's perspective, you know, again, getting people on board with that was, a, was you know, key. But once they were on board, we had a customer that would pay over and over and over and over again, come to us with new ideas and new things to try, which was great from our revenue perspective, but it also was good for their business. And we knew that we could keep delivering value that way. So it was helpful for us to take that approach. But again, that first redesign for somebody, if it doesn't convert better and you, you're the one that tells them that, you absolutely can lose a customer over that. But it is, in my opinion, the correct thing to do. And I, I think more people should do that. And I, I think it's a shame less people don't. 
So the lesson for agencies is set the expectation that you're going to do the redesign and that you're going to continue working to ensure that over time it is growing and converting at a higher rate. And for marketers who are looking for agencies to hire, you're looking for those agencies that aren't just going to deliver your design and then walk out the door. You want, number one, to hold them accountable with some data, but then let them know that they're going to have an opportunity to use that, those, those same, that same data to grow things. That's great. I'm curious, one of the other advantages that we see from data is that we get to try some crazier things. So uh, data mitigates our risk. If we try a crazy idea that doesn't work out, if it's in that 80%, then we park it and we move on to something else. Have you been able to try anything crazy or really interesting there at WP Engine in your testing? The personalized experiences based on source was a kind of fun one because we got to integrate it in with the AB testing tool. I haven't been able to try per se any like crazy ideas in terms of like uh, say corporate messaging or positioning or anything like that. We have uh, been able to try some kind of interesting approaches with things like live chat on the website. I remember one of the tips I kind of stole from Roger Dooley, who I know you also know. Yeah, fellow Austinite. I know, right? He gets he gets around the way, but I remember him talking about this notion of movement. And how in uh, your brain's sense as a evolutionary predator, in a sense, as a human, you're you know kind of built as a predator, motion attracts you because you have this predatory instinct. And so one of the things we got to play around with was integrating motion and sound into the live chat experience. And what you're trying to do with live chat's funny because like you can hit them over the head, like you pop it up in their face and stuff like that. It's oftentimes not very conducive to say the brand message you're trying to get across. And so uh, I think it's, uh, we have this like little subtle flash that like pops and you can barely see it next to the chat widget. Um, but it did drive more chats than the alternative. So, um, you know, I think when you're in an environment where like you've got a very strong brand image and you're trying to protect that brand and not trying to do all the crazy stuff that, you know, kind of a solopreneur internet marketer might get to do. Uh, I, I think that the, the fun part is, well, how can I try these interesting techniques and still preserve that brand identity? Um, but stuff like that was really fun for me. Yeah. And is, is live chat positive for you? Is it, have you figured it out yet? Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, uh, certainly anyone listening, if you're not using it on your site or your client site, especially if you're B2B, um, I've never once implemented it and it not work out for better leads for the sales team, better conversations, better conversions for e-commerce. Um, I'm sure somebody out there has had a terrible time with it, but not me. Uh, I mean, just give your customers, give your visitors the opportunity to have a conversation. So much more uh, value you can derive from it, higher close rates, higher average revenue per lead. Like, why make them jump through a bunch of hoops of scheduling a call? Like, let them ask the question right there, have the opportunity to say something that helps convince them to take that next step. I, I love live chat. I think it's fantastic. And it works great for our business. Now, and so many of our personal relationships are now mitigated through that same form, that short message form back and forth through uh, texting and messaging and things like that. We don't always get to research our campaign and website designs. That's just the way it is. But every launch is an experiment. When you get back to the office, think back to some of the campaigns or web pages you launched and take the time to drill in on how that effort performed. Not just the results you put into the report for the rest of the team. Ask yourself what you can learn from these. Did your emails have different open rates? 
The ones with higher open rates might have had more relevant subject lines. That service description page that you launch, is it a factor in getting more demo requests from your visitors? Analytics can tell you that. The change you made to your homepage, did it reduce the scroll depth on that page? Your heat mapping software can tell you that. If you don't know the answers to any of the questions you have, you get to figure out how to collect that data next time for the campaign or the page you're working on right now. You'll gain some insights, but more importantly, you'll learn how to learn from everything you do. Then go back to work, scientists. <laughs>